Welcome back to the Own Your Potential podcast, where you'll hear stories from leaders across the globe about how they've taken control of their career growth and lessons on how you can too. I'm Peter Sherba, and today I have the extreme pleasure of sitting down with John Pistana, who's the CEO and co-founder of ObservePoint and co-founder of Omniture. John, welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have you on. It's a huge privilege to being able to chat with you. Um, before we jump into all the questions, why don't we start from the beginning? Take us through your career journey leading up to, until today. Sounds good. Well, Peter, it's great to talk with you. I'm happy to be here. Um, yeah, so my name is John Pastana. You know, I've, I've been in the software industry for a long time and especially in internet and SaaS software probably one of the very first people kind of in SaaS software. Yeah. Um, I started building websites for people way back in 1995, um, but started my first official like company building websites for people in 1996, which then led me into more the heavier development part of the internet there in 96, where I started building websites for local companies here in Utah, I'm based in Utah, um, yeah. Zion's Bank, uh, Ancestry.com, just a, quite a few local businesses that I was building their websites and building actually a lot of back-end systems uh, for them, which then led me down a path. Um, I'm, I'm obviously summary, summarizing my career here just very quickly because it's probably the less interesting stuff, but um, of where as I was building websites for people, I realized that I didn't like just billing hours from people and I wanted to kind of create a product online because yeah. I had a lot of people that I was helping and they were making a lot of money. I'm like, man, I want to be on the other side of this. So um, I actually built a, a website and I had a business partner named Josh James uh, who was doing all of this along with me. So if you ever hear me saying me, it was really me, him, and obviously lots of employees so yeah. to all the amazing people who have worked with me over all these years too. I, I do not pretend that I'm the one who did anything except for helping to rally and lead the troops with Josh. Um, but, you know, so it was building website for people. And then we started trying our own ideas. And one of our first um, things that we did is we started a website called Script search, which was an archive of CGI resources on the internet. We sold that to a company called Meckler Media Corporation and made a couple hundred grand while we were in college. Yeah. And that kind of really opened our eyes to like, man, we should try and do more of this because I think we'd only invested a couple thousand dollars into that website and and then uh, started a site called Superstats. And Superstats really started to grow like crazy. which then as we were, I mean, ended up with millions of people using Superstats, yeah. uh, which was basically, you know, you put an ad on your website and we will give you stats in exchange uh, about your website. And so um, that then turned into a company called MyComputer.com. And our main product, uh, obviously, was Superstats. Yeah. But we started to realize that small businesses kind of came and went. So it was really hard to grow that business. Um, you know, when people won, it was a lot of free customers. We did end up launching some services that were like 10 bucks to 30 bucks, you know, for some stats, but we had a few bigger enterprise customers that we realized that what we were doing was actually pretty special and people, big companies were really struggling to track their websites. And one of our first big companies that came to us was eBay. Oh, wow. And, um, and you know, 
it, with how much traffic volume they were dealing with, like old server logs and stuff like that just wouldn't do it. It wouldn't keep up with their systems. And our systems were actually real time. Right. So we would tell you to the second, like how many page views, what pages people were looking at. And so we, we, you know, we had this enterprise version of our product. Well, eventually during the internet crash, uh, we decided to get rid of all of our small business customers and only focus on the enterprise part of our company. And that's when we really started to take off and we changed our name then to Omniture. Right. And uh, I mean, literally from that point forward, we grew a hundred percent or more every single year from that point forward until we eventually sold to Adobe. uh, You know, what was that? I guess about seven years later, something like that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, you know, just, been a part of the internet from the get go, um, at least, you know, kind of since the first major web browsers and stuff like that. And, um, it's been a fun ride, you know, have had thousands of people work for me and with me. Um, and it, it was, it was a fun thing, but that's kind of, you know, the quick summation of, of my internet experience. Um, and now over the last, so that was till 2009 when we sold to Adobe. Yeah. The, I took some time where I was helping with a company called Observe Point, which I'm actually CEO of now. But for the first many years of that company, uh, my good friend Rob Seolis was the CEO. It was his and not mine idea to start this. And at Observe Point, what we do is we actually help kind of watch your website and make sure you know everything that's happening. So if you're a big company, uh, you know, your website is made up of many different websites, right? And a lot of people right. struggle to even know, like, what technologies are implemented. Um, you know, are the cookies being set properly and following uh, regulations but based off of different governments and rules and things like that? And where our technology tells you, I always say, what the heck's going on on my website? <sighs> you know, um, and until you run a, a website, you don't understand, you know, like, what appears to, as this really simple thing to the end user is actually a very complicated yeah. uh, beast. You know, like uh, for example, like did your website actually ask permission prior to setting cookies, you know, when a customer was coming from Germany? Yeah. You know, like how would you even check that? Right. Exactly. It'd be impossible to do by hand, but that's where our systems do. So, so I've been here now the last three and a half years as CEO of the company. And it's been a lot of fun being back at it. And, um, and it's funny cause I don't have to work. I, I just enjoy it and I'm here for my employees and you know, something to do. Yeah. Uh, th- so this is a special conversation for me, John, because my entire career a decade ago started as a web analyst pulling reports and trying to understand what was going on with customers on yeah. blackberry.com using Omniture. Oh, like, so you were actually an Omniture customer. I was, we were, I was at Sapient Nitro at the time. Yeah. We yeah. were, we were now Publis Sapient and Blackberry was a customer of yours, um, uh, of Omniture. And so we were essentially, uh, leveraging all of the data across all sites, pages, different site sections to do all sorts of analysis, right? Which compared to the stuff that we do today is super rudimentary, but that's, you know, my first exposure to the working world post uh, graduating my undergrad was, was inside that tool. And back then it was so much harder to collect data. Like, I mean, the amount of data that the internet was generating compared to what a lot of people would have dealt with with their internal systems. 
Um, you know, when you had a website getting like a hundred million page views in a week, yeah. like, what do you do with all that data? Right. That's right. And, um, so, so it was fun and challenging. Actually, my, my role really in the company there, uh, was kind of head of customer success, even though I was the co-founder uh, and president as my title for a long time, um, that I've always loved being a part of product and being a part of just having major empathy for a customer and trying yeah. to figure out how to solve their things. So like even many of the biggest customers in the beginning, I personally did all their implementations. Oh, wow. I mean, talk about being a senior leader, but still fingers on keys and going deep, <laughs> right? Like that's, that's, that's pretty rare. And that's what's um, nice about like when you have a great business partner, which Josh was really great at managing, um, you know, investors and, and, making sure financially, you know, we are keeping track of everything. And then he was really great at managing sales and sales teams. So if you think about that was kind of Josh, where I really focused on the product, the technology, the customers, along with another really a, a smart gentleman named Brett error, who was the CTO at, right. at Omniture. And so, you know, from a leadership standpoint, Josh would work like Chris Harrington, who was over sales, but then I, I would work with Brett and Billy Ingram and others who were who were in charge of product. Yeah. And so I, I want to, you know, touch on that a little bit, because I think this is a topic that's come up a couple of times on the podcast. But even as you articulate it, it it seems like a critical unlock for success and scaling of a business to have partners that are complementary of your skill set and also of the things that you actually want to be doing, right? Yeah. I think in, obviously in the early stages of a business, everyone's all hands on deck on everything, right? It's just whatever it takes to get things done. Yeah. It's, it's knowing your strengths. It's really knowing your strengths and knowing other people's strengths. Yeah. And actually, even still today, many, I don't always do this, but often I will actually have employees take the strength finder. If yeah. You're familiar with that. That's and right. I'll also have them take like a big five personality test just to understand yeah. how best to utilize their skills, um, how to interact with them well. And my whole management style is to put most of my effort into hiring. Mm -hmm. So to make sure, like when I just hired a C I hired a new CTO last year and I had every single one take a personality test. I had all these things where I was like, I know what makes a good CTO. And I ended up knocking it out of the park. Honestly, my new CTO is incredible. Um, and it, that doesn't surprise me that he worked out because I put yeah. so much thought into the hiring of him. But once I hire somebody, my attitude is I'm like a counselor is how I think about it. Like I counsel with them. Right. I won't tell them really what to do. Now I set objectives with them. Like we set goals as a company and we, we know our key results and where we're driving. And then I work with them to, to make sure one, they understand those results and where we're driving. But ultimately yeah. I don't want to tell them. I always say, if you're ever micromanaging or you're coming in and like trying to fix something somebody else did, you just need to get rid of the person. You, ha you have the wrong person there. Right. Especially as you get bigger and bigger and bigger, you don't have time to be double checking anybody. So I'm very curious about that because usually it's the opposite, right? In that, uh, Things are growing quickly. You have urgent needs. You have to hire resources fast. But once they're hired, the firing takes a long time. 
right? Yeah. And you go through the performance management improvement plans. You go through, you know, all of the different stage gates of that process of, of whatever good HR process would exist. But you hire after three or four conversations. Yeah. Luckily, luckily, Peter, I've been at very small companies my whole life. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Even Omniture was a small company, right? A little over a thousand employees. It's not like it was huge. Um, and you have different things that you have to put in place as you get bigger and bigger. But I always say, if you're, if you're going to let somebody go and they seem surprised by that, yeah. you're a horrible manager. Like mm. you probably need to let yourself go because that should never be a surprise to somebody. And it's so often I actually don't even have to let somebody go because they already know that they're not performing and they just go find another job. Right. I think that's what's interesting. Sometimes as employees, like you see people leave the company and think, oh, why are they leaving? Well, it's there's a good chance that they were being pushed a little bit. You know? Yeah, that's really interesting. Now, I wanted to jump back a little bit even further. You talked about the fact that you sold your first company for a couple hundred thousand dollars in college. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't happen to a lot of people, right? <laughs> That's a bit of a game changer on what your perspective on success is way before you've even really started in the professional world in, in a material way. Yeah, well, even then, when I was running my web development company, I was charging $125 an hour yeah. in 1995 and 96 to build yeah. stuff for people. Right. So that's the equivalent of like $250,000 a year of income. Yeah. Um, and so I already didn't plan on ever applying for a job. I actually never even, I, the only resume I ever made in college was because my teacher, like in one of my business classes, I had to make a resume. Right. You know, but I never intended on really working for anybody. Right. I got married in 96 and I just started the company because that's what I wanted to do is do my thing and take care of my family. You know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I didn't say I saw it as a good stepping stone. You know, when we did that, Josh and I each took 50 grand. We moved out of our apartments. We used to, each of us used our $50,000 to put a deposit on a house to be able to move in houses for our families. And then the other hundred grand we invested into Superstats. And we also at the same time took a hundred thousand dollar investment from uh, some angel investors here locally. So we $200,000 and that allowed us to stop building websites for other people and just focus on our own stuff for the next year. And so when it came to then scaling um, superstats from small and medium businesses more to enterprise, I know that that was then accelerated by the, the dot-com bubble or crash, yeah. but w was there a roadmap where you saw going in that direction eventually anyways, as you scaled past a certain threshold or, you know, how exactly did that come about? You know, I definitely... I. <laughs> I, my whole thing, like on doing business is, I mean, I do think, and I, I think out into the future and try and predict things, but overall, I don't worry about it a ton. I, I try and prepare mentally, but I, I just try and keep, take care of customers, right? I just yeah. try and make sure I'm doing the very best I can to take care of customers. And I kind of believe that when you do that, all these other opportunities just happen. Yeah. Um, but otherwise it was just, I, I don't know if I was capable back then of knowing how big things could be. Cause when you're coming out of college, like I remember when we got our first customer that was paying us $500,000 a year. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy that we have somebody paying us $500,000 a year just to yeah. track the website. Right. 
But now my perspective on that is like, oh, only $500,000 a year, right? Um, And I even tell my employees all the time, I said, stop confusing your personal finances with a corp company's finances. There are companies who spend hundreds of millions of dollars on software implementations. Right. Um, And we're doing very important things for these customers. I I have one particular customer I'm thinking of where they were paying us. This is actually a different customer than the other one I was mentioning. They're paying us $500,000 a year. And I was doing, I was out doing a training with some of them and helping them, you know, implement. And I remember the guy told me that they had spent $3 million internally training their employees on our system. Wow. And so all of a sudden I was like, oh, he doesn't even care about the $500,000. No that he's spending with me is it's the $3 million he has to spend to train his people. And then I finally understood why they always wanted to make sure that we like, we, we implemented a system where like the old interface would stay live guaranteed for like at least a a certain amount of time. And it's because every time a new interface would go live, they had to help retrain all their employees. And that was, you know, did now that's an interesting kind of, Forking the road, right? Potentially, did you at that point uh, in gaining an understanding that wow, you have, you know, organizations spending five, six, seven, eight x what they spend on your product on just enabling their people to use the product? Is that suddenly become like an opportunity for additional managed services that that you as Superstats could have done or Omniture could have done? Well, we we definitely ended up having some services as a part of our company, but ultimately that wasn't our priority. You know, at least for myself. I, I'd say that even at Omniture, we got more of that than what what I personally like to do. Yeah. Like my ideal world is like at Observe Point, we don't have a consulting team. Like right. I, I want to be a software company. I don't want to be a consulting company. If anything, I want great partners who we work with who are, do those things. Right. Um, where, where I think at Omniture, that got a little bit bigger. But I think that's because we hired people who wanted to grow that. Right. right. Um but we still did not that much of that. I mean, the vast majority of our revenue was all coming from software and not from, from anybody providing services. I have to say, I have to ask, as you were growing Superstats and then Omniture and really, uh, you know, changing what web analytics was going to become from there forwards, right? It it really transformed that entire space. And you created an entire like generation of careers, essentially me, mine being one of them. Um, uh, And as you're building that still relatively early in your career and scaling it, what was the the end goal, right? What was the measure, the definition of success for you with Omniture? And was there any sort of I guess, understanding of the potential legacy you had on the line to leave by leaving such a massive imprint on, you know, the digital space and, and what capturing customer data and behavior data on these digital experiences ultimately would become. Were you aware of the potential of that or, or was it something that just happened? Honestly, not really. Like I said, I was just trying to build great stuff. I mean, I think that's, that's how I've always been. Like, I mean, yes, I knew we were growing and I knew people were loving it and I was along for the ride and, and I, and I loved, I mean, if you talk to a lot of people, you know, I was the executive who was even always at all the conferences, friends with everybody. Yeah. Um, I'd get comments all the time from people who like, they couldn't believe how personable I was. And well, I made that comment to you in our first chat. I couldn't believe how just jovial and open you were to, to, to chatting, which is a hundred percent true. Yeah. And, um, so you know, the same thing as we were building the business, I just wanted to take care of people and I wanted to 
I mean, I definitely, my personality is a little bit of a people pleaser. So I, uh, I got a ton of joy out of seeing us build awesome stuff for people. Like that's even, I think why I liked doing a lot of the implementations. Like, um, I think I had a very natural talent on going in and truly caring about what they were trying to solve and what they were trying to track. Right. And then I'm a very creative person too. So I very creatively could be like, Oh, we could apply it this way. We could track this, this way, you know, and get all this data for you. I mean, what we were known for at, at Omniture versus a lot of the other solutions that were out there is that we were like really the first solution that would let you adapt what you wanted to track. Yeah. You that's know, right. So like, uh, for example, one of the first customers that we built a lot of that for was Kelly Blue Book, which was right. you know, the, the car valuation company. And they wanted to know top models people were looking at, you know, car brands, everything about it. What were the colors? And so I built out all this reports for them that did that. But when we did that, we said, you know, we're not going to just do that for one person. We're going to build it. So anybody then whatever they wanted to track, it could be fully customizable. And why that was so unique even back then is because this was still all real time stats. Right. Right. It wasn't, you know, wait a week and get your data or wait a month and get your data. This was all to the second. I was so proud of like, you could actually pull open a website and literally click like refresh as fast as you possibly could. And you'd go in the reports and it was all right there. Well, I mean, I don't care to share how many hours I've spent inside of debuggers looking at the tags on the front end, you know, um, that were previously hard coded. Then we're inside of a data layer, right? And then tag yeah. management became the industry best practice. Yeah. And it's just the way that these things evolved and became, you know, more capable has just been really exciting to watch as somebody that has been in this space while you were growing this organization yeah. and, and now what it's become um, as part of the Adobe suite. I guess I'm curious then, Speaking of Adobe, at what point did that start to become an option in terms of selling the organization? Well, they were a big they were a big customer of ours, right? Right, and um, and so that's how that relationship started. And I actually don't know exactly how it all happened because Josh always handled that type of stuff. I just know that basically one day Josh just said, "Hey." Adobe's interested in us, you know, <laughs> what's interesting about that is actually, I never, if you had prior to that conversation, if you said, Hey, John, who do you think the top five people would buy you are, they wouldn't have even been on the list. In right. Um, but then once Josh explained it to me, I was like, Oh, that really makes sense. And it was because Adobe saw themselves as the creators of the internet. Right. right. And so if they were helping to create the internet, they also wanted to help their customers manage and track everything that they're creating. Right. Uh, so it was actually a brilliant move by them. Um, and I know they've been super happy with it. I've had the CEO tell me, you know, it was just basically one of his favorite acquisitions and that, and you always feel good that way. Cause I'm the type of person like, you know, obviously I hang out with a lot of entrepreneurs and I've seen friends who like sell companies like, Oh man, I'm so glad I got rid of that hot potato. Right. Yeah. That is not how I felt at all. I felt like we sold them an incredible thing, you know? Yeah. And it was kind of sad even to have it be for us come to an but end. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah. Is, is What was the emotional or mental kind of reaction to realizing this was something you were now going to hand, hand off? Yeah, I, I was tired. I will say that. I was 13 years into the business. Yeah. And think I was ready, you know, I'd, I'd actually retired from my day-to-day -day position like a year and a half before we even sold. And, and a lot of that was had to do with the fact that I had felt like as the business got bigger, it was just harder for us to stay friends as an executive team. Mm. 
And for me, that was way more important to me than the money, than anything else. And so I felt like, you know what, for us to stay friends, I think it's just time I move on and focus on my family and these friendships versus being there every single day. Uh, there's a lot of egos that start to get built up when the company gets so big. And so, yeah. I mean, we were hot, right? And, um, and, and, and I don't care about that stuff. I don't. So for me, it's like, you know what? They got enough people. And I remember Josh, he was really sad when I told him I was going to leave. You know, he was basically, please stay. But I just knew that for me, it's what I needed to do. Um, was to move on, but I was still on the board. So I got to hang out and actually Josh and I are still very good friends. I'm on the board at Domo to his current company and yeah. he's an investor in observe point, you know, and, and I think we've found something that works for us. I always, although people always think Josh and I are more friends than what we are. Um, I always say we're more like brothers, Interesting. Um, where it's like we have each other's backs, but we don't ever hang out. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're so different for people who know us both. We're so different. And, and I love Josh. I love Josh like a brother, but it's, and I, and I think that's worked well for us being in that space. I think that's a really important distinction, right? That type of relationship versus one of friendship where you spend that time um, hanging out and otherwise, right? But I also think that, again, even though just hearing the way you talk about Josh and that relationship and how important that was, right, it is absolutely uh, the backbone of the growth of the company, right, is having that sort of relationship. Yeah. Well, we always knew, we always knew we had each other's backs and he knew I was watching all the product and the customers and what was going on. Right. I knew he was watching the investors and, you know, taking care of that whole side with the sales team. And we just trusted each other 100%. That sounds like such a critical unlock to, to, to really scale beyond a certain threshold of success with, yeah. with a company. And I think that I, I wonder if, you know, your uh, relationship was established at a very like young age, right? And and you even maybe grew together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Would you have any guidance for anyone who is, you know, evaluating a potential partner to go into business with at a later stage in life? Well, I know for me, like when I, when I'm trying to, um, when I'm trying to hire executives, for example, yeah. One of the most important things for me is that they're not too money motivated. Mm. I want them to be, I want them to want to be successful because I want them to want to work hard and all that. But I need to know that they're in it with me completely. Even if somebody else calls them up and offers them 10% more three months later. Right? right. And, and like, I feel like I have that right now with my executive team. It's like, I actually feel the same bond with my executive team now as I did even with the Omniture team. Yeah. There is something about being young and really growing something together, but we hang out as an executive team. We love each other. We truly care about each other's well-being, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's super common for my executive team right now. Like we'll text each other on the weekends. Hey, how is everybody doing? Here's me, you know, mountain biking or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I think that that trust, how I've explained it to them too, I said, cause I've even a few times I've told them, look, you need to be more friends. You need to figure this out and be actual friends because when you trust each other like friends, you can have more frank conversations. Right. Like when you're with your buddy and you're like, dude, you suck or whatever, yeah. like those type of conversations, right? And where 
where if you don't have that, you just start undermining each other. Mm. And, and I need everybody to work together. I describe it. I have this one slide that I show a lot where it shows a mat, uh, basically a magnifying glass and all the light coming into it and then coming down in a single beam. Yeah. And I show all the departments of a company and I'm like, all these departments are coming through this magnifying glass and they are coming out as the product that we're making. And if, unless we work well together, we're just, we're going to, we'll be more like a prism instead of a magnifying glass. Yeah. You know? And lots of lights going everywhere. Right. I need us to be a magnifying glass and I need us to all be united in, in our goals. I need us to be united in what we want. And I love when I see like a, a, a team member, you know, for the good of like the whole team, even doing something that might, you know, not be to their very best interest. Right. But I think that we're all aligned in the key results in the future. Then uh, that helps us realize, you know, what we need to be doing together and how that we need to be friends and we need to be communicating to really keep that executive team and every other team member in the company really tight. That's like, like, actually, here's a few things I do that I think are very rare. Um, I mean, I do, I do a CEO update every single Wednesday with my entire team. So every single person in the whole company is on, we do it early in the morning so that our teams in Europe and stuff can also be on. One of the things we even highlight, like five minutes of that meeting, it's only 30 minute meeting, but five minutes of it is somebody giving a, a team member highlight, you know, where they tell us about themselves, their family. Cause I, it's really important that we care about everybody on a personal level too. Yeah. That we know each other. Uh, I do a, a quarterly summit with the whole company, you know, where we sync on everything's happening. I actually, a lot of companies do those long. We actually only do one day because I think just people can't focus for much more than that. Yeah. And then here's the really unique one. I actually interview every single employee in the company every six months personally. Wow. A one-on-one, even interns making sure that they know, you know, what our goals are, what we're trying to do, make sure I know now and how I manage that. It's only a 15 minute interview, but I send out the questions beforehand to them and they have to write responses to me. So they'll get five or six questions. They have to write the responses for me. And what that does, it allows me then prior to that interview to read their responses And then we can focus most of the 15 minutes just on them as a person, on their personal development, any other things that they have and not necessarily about the things I was wanting to know, you know, and I, I feel like that's really helps me, um, just be in tune with even the lowest levels in the company. Now I know at a big company, that'd be very impossible, right? right? I only have 83 people or something like that. Right. Um, but I have calculated that I should be able to keep this up until about 200. Yeah. And then at that, I'll probably then switch to where I just still do like up to 400, but it's only like once a year. So I'm still doing it personally twice a year, but I'm only doing every employee like once a year. Yeah. Something like that. I'm not sure what I want to do, but it's, it's important to me. This is incredibly eye opening, right? I think this like for anybody listening to this, that's in a senior leadership position, this should fundamentally shift kind of the perception of what, you know, the, a CEO, for example, should aspire to in terms of a connection with the people in their organization, right? Yeah. That level of accessibility, um, 
that level of time and care investment in each individual, that's incredibly rare to your point. Like, you, you know, um, well, and I will say, it's not like I made some calculated decision to do this. I did this because I legitimately care about them and I care about what they have to say. Right. And that's why I do it. Um, I I feel like you, it gets you down in the weeds and you hear the, you know, the daily issues that people are struggling with. And I don't know, it's, it's super enlightening. Now, I, I just to put... Um, time against the effort. Um, what, what does that look like in terms of the stretch of time, two, t- two times a year that you're doing this? Yeah. Nor- normally I'll do it over two or two or three weeks. Yeah. So actually when I first started, I literally did like marathon days. I oh, started, wow. I'd start in the morning and it taking me like two or three days. <laughs> and then I realized that was too exhausting for me and even made it so I couldn't give them the full attention that they right. really deserve. Exactly. So now what I do is I'll break out over a two or three week period, like two to three hours a day right. to do it. And then it spreads it out. And then I just send out that calendary, calendarly invite to people where they can pick their time, you know? That's awesome. And, and that's worked really well. No, I think that's really inspiring. I think that, you know, small, medium, large organization, and and obviously to your point, that doesn't scale past a certain point, right? It's just impossible. But to try and emulate that sort of intentionality around uh, connecting with the people inside your organization, I think that's the takeaway here. If I, let's say I ran a hundred thousand person company, I think I would find out at least what all the titles in the company are like of the major departments. And I think I would at least say of every one of these titles, I want to talk to five people. Yeah. Just to get a representation of, of who works in the organization at all levels. I think that makes total sense. Yeah. It, it, it definitely just shifts the perspective of like what the responsibility and what the impactful things that a CEO, for example, can be doing to run an effective business um, at any scale which I think is really interesting. Um, I do want to circle a little bit back to, you know, Omniture now transition, then transitioning to ObservePoint. You mentioned that you had already been kind of helping and helped kind of co-found the idea behind yeah. ObservePoint. But what I find particularly interesting is like with Omniture, you're understanding customer behavior. What are people doing that are visiting the site? Yeah. Then as sites became incredibly complex ecosystems of different tracking elements and tags and whatever the case is, right? Which you kind of uh, elaborated on earlier, you then needed to understand what is happening to and around your site, right? <laughs> From a technical perspective. Yeah, and what then, the heck is going on on my website? Yeah. Right. Because now we know what people are doing there at scale, yeah. but it's like, what's actually happening with the website? And that's then ObservePoint Wars. It's like this interesting complementary um, product, but also evolution of the needs of understanding the site, right? The digital yeah. experience. And uh, I guess at what point did that become uh, an evident opportunity or need area that, that you identified? So it actually started at Omniture because at Omniture, if a customer called and said, you guys are broken 99.9% of the time, mm-hmm. it was the customer themselves had made a mistake on how they had implemented the tagging. Right. And so that was the kind of initial thought is like, how do we automate and help people understand where their tagging problems are happening. Yeah. 
And then in a, and then think about that. There's like 10,000 marketing tech companies, right? So there's all these tags all over the place. I mean, I think right now, observe point, I don't know if I'm exact, but it's somewhere around 70 or 80 tags on the average website, different right. vendors, you know, yeah. that like, I guarantee you there's nobody in the company even knows who all those companies are, or why they're even on the website. Of course, not one person, not one person. Um, and even think about something like simple like this, like you're a company and you're like, Hey, did our new marketing tagline get put across the website? There's literally nobody who could answer that question for you. Yeah. You know, because again, most websites are made up of maybe 20 or 30 different content management systems, you know, if not even more than that, if they're a huge company. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember I was working with one company to just implement on their main site. I had to work with 26 agencies. Wow. And it was like, and this was a big fortune 50 company, you know, but it was just kind of crazy. It's like, how do you guys accomplish anything for some (laughs) 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 And, um, but you know, so, so, you know, with observe point, when we got started, I had, I was still at Omniture, but we were basically, basically I'd finished up like my daily role and my good friend, Rob, uh, had sold his company too, but he hadn't made, like I made enough money where I'd never had to work again. He was like, okay, I made some good money, like to buy a house, but I need to get back to work, you know? Yeah. And so he was looking for something. So that's when we talked and came up with this idea and he, and he kind of ran with it. Well, for the first like 10 years, I was helping almost more like an entrepreneur in residence, just there helping. When I could. Um, but I was also just managing my family office. Honestly, I was still investing all the money I'd made from Omniture. Right. And that took me almost 10 years to just get all that money out into the world working for me. Right. And, and so, um, we, so we went down the path and we were building the system and, you know, it, I think one thing too, is like, it's complicated what we do at observe point, like really complicated. It, it appears, I think there's a lot of people look at it and thinks it looks easy, but when you're talking about the internet, that's shifting all the time, like new yeah. browsers updates all the time, all these things that are going on rule changes, basically, yeah. it's actually really hard to do what we do. Yeah. Very, very hard. And so, but ObservePoint got to a, a point uh, a few years ago where we kind of stagnated from a revenue standpoint. And, um, and so the board had asked me if I'd be willing to come in and try and take it to the next level. So I came in, um, we've rewritten basically the whole platform. We've gotten our retention way up. Like we have really great retention now. And, um, you know, a lot of very happy customers where we were at, for there for about a year, we were kind of like losing as many people as we were bringing in, you know, and, and, and I will say that's very difficult. It's a very common thing to happen in companies. Very common. There's actually, if you ever want to look up some interesting research, like look how few companies ever get over 10 million in revenue, right? Like you would think that wouldn't be that hard, but it's like so few companies ever get over 10 million. And like this year, you know, observe point will do about 20 million in, in revenue in uh, all subscription, you know, coming into the company. Yeah. We're, we're not a big team. We're only like 83 people here at the company. Yeah. So, so I came in and it's been fun, you know, to step back in and, you know, take it to the next level. And my goal is to really build this thing out and, try and get it up into the 50, hundred million in revenue here over the next couple of years. Um, and with the ultimate goal of just making sure we're doing what customers want and that they are super happy with us. 
I find that so interesting just because, you know, I think I've heard it described a number of times and I'm not sure if you you watch, for example, combat sports like the UFC or boxing, let's say. But like when you're a hungry up and coming fighter, right, and you're sleeping on a mattress on the floor or on the floor, it's really easy to get up at 5 a.m. and train all day to get yourself yeah. out of the gutter. But yeah. when you're sleeping in silk sheets and you don't have to think about anything, it gets harder and harder to train at the same level of intensity. And that's where you see that kind of fall off of kind of elite competitive ability. Yep. Yep, and so as you kind of described the, the hunger to build something cool, right? To work really hard, then to have the monumental success again in your career of selling a company, but at this time on a scale, like on, on an unimaginable scale, right? Yeah. Um, to then, to your point, fundamentally never have to work again. And then now to be getting back into it, right? How do you find the difference in the motivation you have and, and what is maybe the difference? Because obviously you're successfully scaling a business, right? I will, I will say it is definitely harder. You know, mm -hmm. when, when I was younger with Josh, we would work 80 hour weeks, you know, I don't do that anymore. I definitely have just accepted the fact we'll probably grow a little slower than if I was you know, back in my twenties. Right. Yeah. Like I turned 50 this year, you know, I just don't have <laughs> it in me as much. <clears throat> and, but at the same time, what motivates me is I am here for people I care about, you yeah. know, and I actually find, for me, find that much more motivating than just the money. Of course. Actually, money is not even a motivating factor actually to me anymore. Um, like I'm not the highest paid person on my executive team, you know? That's so uh, interesting. I, you know, I'm here because I just want to be here. And um, yeah, I, I might even be the lowest from a stock option standpoint here of all this. <laughs> I mean, I think that that would be probably eye opening for senior leaders that are potentially listening to hear that. And, but I find it like, I find it really interesting. Well, that doesn't mean I don't own a lot of stock at ObservePoint because I helped found the company, but from yeah. my development standpoint, and I also personally have put millions of dollars into ObservePoint. So I have like stock that I've purchased, you know, and that's part of that. But like from just like, if so, if I had been hired as an executive, like what I'm doing, you know, I don't have any major crazy package here. Yeah. But I think what I'm uh, taking away from this is the empowering nature of choosing to be somewhere and do something instead of having to be somewhere and doing something. Yeah. And that's what you're doing. Yeah. You're waking up every day and deciding to come in and kick ass at observe point and try and grow this business. And that is a totally different type of motivation. And I'm saying, well, and it's really, yeah, it's really motivating. Like you know, I've told my team, I'm here for you guys. I'm here to make you guys millionaires. I'm here to, you know, have you guys become successful enough that you become luminaries in the Valley and let's, yeah. let's do this. Um, and, and I guess I've taken pride in that. I have other former employees of mine who were inspired by me and Josh and have gone on and done big companies here in the Valley and hired thousands and thousands of people. I mean, that, that, I guess in some ways it's kind of funny because Josh and I were very successful, but we have former employees who have gone on and been even more successful than us. That's so cool. You know, and I just take pride in that, that they were inspired by our, by what we had done and decided to go do it too. You know? Yeah. You got to be part of their journey. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think that absolutely would be a really exciting thing to be able like, to reflect I never on. get upset at people when they even quit. You know, uh, as long as they're respectful and help us, you know? Yeah. Um, but where I think you see a lot of young managers who that really bothers them when somebody quits. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, it bothers me when somebody's dishonest, 
But it never bothers me if somebody needs to make a decision for the betterment of their family and what they think they need to be doing. I'm friends with every person. I mean, I, I try to be friends with every person I've ever even fired. I think you could call almost every single one of them and talk with them and they would only speak well of me. I think that's something to aspire to, right? And and there is something to be said it, to your point to treating others with respect, I think is a huge unlock because to your point, then they go off into their uh, the next steps in their career, but you remain in a network, right? The, the one reality of today's world is we're all connected. Yeah. I've even had, I've even had some of them come back after yeah. they left, you know, I, I always say it's all personal. It's never just business. It's all personal. And so make the assumption whenever you're even parting ways with somebody that, you know, you're going to work with them again. How would you treat that in that moment if you know that two years from now you're going to work together again? The other thing, especially when people are young, remember, all these people are going to go on and become big wigs at some other companies. Yeah. And it's really and, I, and the funny thing is I never really thought about that when I was doing it all. It's just how I am. But now in hindsight, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. All my friends are CEOs of all these companies. And even some of these people truly I fired, but they still consider me, you know, a, a great friend. I've even had some of them say, Hey, I learned a lot. I totally deserved that. And I've just appreciated your friendship the whole way through all of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, right. Like to, to that point, like you, this, the, the one thing that we can't escape is on some level, we still today through social media networks like LinkedIn and otherwise we are all continuously connected, right? We That's all right. see each other's growth in our careers, et cetera. And so there's just there's no place for conduct that is anything less than respectful um, because you just never know when those relationships could be of value or when upon reflection, in spite of the fact that you might be frustrated in the moment, you could look back and say, you know what? No, there was actually an enormous amount of value I gained from that relationship, that experience, that opportunity. Um, I'm, I'm curious now, especially with the, I, I think as you've been part of so much, I guess, change and transformation in the digital space, right? Uh, you know, in today's world, the, it, let's say 15 years ago, data would have been a resource at best, right? You know, it's something that you pulled reports with and yeah, yeah. you in, input into some decisions. Today, it is a strategic differentiator. It is core to every business. I don't think you hear a single CEO of any major Fortune 500 company or managed service provider talk about any sort of strategy that isn't data-driven with data at the center, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's why you're seeing such cool tools like Domo, right? Where, exactly. Where you know, you had your old business kind of intelligence tools, but like Domo was all about like social intelligence, right? It's about getting the data out to every person in the company. Like here at ObservePoint, um, Domo, every single person has a login. They all look at their data. We even bring a ton of our like customer usage data into Domo and have it tie and build. It like sends off uh, notifications to people, we start becoming concerned about certain customers and things like that. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's cool with how much more powerful data is than, than what it was in the past, or at least how accessible that might be the better way. It's because democratized. Especially, yeah. Especially the way people used to do the licensing, right? Exactly. Because people used to worry about like, Oh, I got to pay this for the licensing where you have like, I don't know how all the other companies do, but like with our Domo license, like we pay off usage. So how the data that we ingest into the system and then 
all of our users are basically included. So I can have everybody in the company accessing it, using it, bringing it into the organization. It's kind of cool. We've actually built out all these dashboards for every department depending on who you are. So there's literally a dashboard for you if you're a CSM, there's a dashboard yeah. for you if you're an ADM, all these kind of things. Um, and I'm not worried about like every license. Yeah. Right? I'm just worried about the data that I'm ingesting, which is actually really uh, easy to manage. Right, that. right, right. Um, and so I think that that's really changed things in our space, like where um, you, you can bring all this data into a place, you can see it all, you can have it talk to each other, right? Because we bring in Google An Analytics data or, or Adobe Analytics data, you know, all into the system and it's all in a place for us to use. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And I think that that kind of accessibility, democratization of, of, of and I guess also evangelism of data throughout organizations that just helps everyone become data driven. Uh, that uh, permeation in, in organizational culture, I think, is so critical. And I think to your point, changes in kind of business models. Well, the collaboration is what's really changed. Right. Like, like right now in, at Observe Point, we use uh, Google Docs for everything, right? So um, like when I'm working on a PowerPoint presentation, it's funny, I'm calling it a PowerPoint presentation, but a Google Slides sure, yeah. presentation, um, it's incredible now. And I know Microsoft has added some of these type of features, but Google was the first to do it. But like my whole team can be in this slide deck and we can be all working at the exact same time on these yeah. things, leaving comments for each other, seeing each other's cursors, like all while we're working on something. So this new world of everything kind of in the cloud is making it just so much better for us to have access. Absolutely. Um, and it, that's, that's definitely speeding things up. It'd be really fascinating to watch AI as that starts to even. Well, that was my next question for you is what do you think? I mean, it's not to say that AI hasn't been present in the space for years now, but with it being shoehorned or shoved into the forefront with generative AI, how do you think it's going to impact yeah, I was going to say, because that's that's the hard thing. The term AI has been thrown around so much. Of course, much. of course. I mean, and normally what most people call AI is really just some basic business logic that they've been building into things. That's and, right. Um, but true generative AI has been fascinating. We're, we've been looking at it really hard. Like we actually just did a hackathon here at Observe uh, Point cool. where, where the teams were given several days to build the coolest thing in AI that they could for Observe Point. Yeah. We actually had some really neat things come out of it. Um, but, but what we've been finding is it's still not accurate enough to actually build it into our, our systems. Yeah. You know, because, because of like how chat GPT hallucinates a little bit and all these other <laughs> things. Right. Um, but we have found that for our internal systems and processes, there's actually a lot of room for it. Of course. We can deal a little bit with it not being totally accurate. Um, it's, it's a huge initiative here. I actually made that on, it made it to the top list of initiatives when uh, I presented to the company at the beginning of the year of kind of for this year of how we need to be thinking about how do we, you know, make ourselves 30 to 50% more efficient as a company uh, through the use of AI or whatever, even it could be any way, but just automation. I call it automation because I, I actually don't even want people to get hung up on AI. I actually think even prior to like open AI and BARD and all these systems that we already in like at observe point had room to automate probably half the stuff we do. We just hadn't done it yet. Yeah. Um, 
And I have a goal to try and triple the size of our company without really increasing the size of it Interesting. from a people perspective. I think that's really exciting and ambitious. And then, yeah, of course, um, the accessibility and ease of use of kind of the generative AI tools that have surfaced that absolutely can be an unlock towards something like that. And I agree, especially with the nature of what ObservePoint does to have the level of accuracy and and reliability at an enterprise scale with the it, it, it yeah, certainly because we're in the auditing business in a way, right? That's right, exactly. <laughs> so I can't have it be like, well, it's ninety percent accurate. No, it's, that's just not good enough, exactly. Yeah. But you know, for me as a consultant, I use ChatGPT, you know, fifteen oh, twenty yeah. times a day. It, it, there's no way I should ever start looking at an organization's business without quickly accelerating I that mean, research process. Peter, I used it just uh, a week ago to help me with my investor letter I was sending out. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And and it saved, it probably saved me at least an hour. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so as we continue to adopt and augment our ways of working, I think it's really exciting, but I want to pivot to something totally different as Let's kind of it. one of the final questions to ask, because I think that it is just a demonstration of kind of the type of individual that you are. And, and for anyone that's listening, if you can't hear the smile through the screen, <laughs> there's been one, it's been ever present through this conversation, but you know, you talked to me in, in one of our initial conversations about your passion for Halloween and what you do each and every year. And I think folks just need to hear that because as something, you know, as somebody with the means that you have and the success that you've had to give back to a community through a passion like this, I think it's just so cool. Um, and especially as somebody with a five-year-old and a two-year-old uh, daughter, right. Or two daughters as something that I could just imagine myself at, I, I would love for you to kind of describe this a little bit. Yeah. So what Peter's talking about is, um, Back at the Omniture days, we actually did Halloween really big at Omniture. Um, all the employees and their families, because, you know, Utah is a very family-oriented culture. Yeah. Um, not that I know everywhere is, but I'm what I'm meaning by that is like, there's very few places in the country where you're like, every person has four to five kids, you know? Right. Kind of thing, right? <laughs> and I, I realize it's not everybody, but it's a shocking amount to have a, a lot of kids. So Halloween, we'd always do these big Halloween parties at Amisher and everybody would bring their kids as a family event and they would trick or treat through the office space. Yeah. Well, over the years, we just kept decorating the office space bigger and bigger and bigger until it literally got out of control. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was insane what we would build. Well, after I left Omniture, I started just kind of doing a similar thing at my house where um, every year I build a theme park basically in my house where, um, you know, I'll, I'll do some theme. Like last year I did Jurassic Park. Yeah. And everybody came to my house and I had the big gates in front of my house with flames coming out of the top of them and um, animatronic dinosaurs. And in a lot of the stuff, we, we build it all from scratch. Like we 3D modeled a Mosasaurus swimming around and I installed a video wall in my garage. So it, like the people, it looked like they were looking at a Mosasaurus swimming around. That's incredible. Um, yeah. And if you go to my YouTube channel, you can actually see some video footage uh, of this, uh, which I think my YouTube channel is just John Pastana. I'll have to plug it in the post for this um, because that's just incredible. Yeah. And so that's just kind of gotten out of control. And like last year, I think about 5,000 people came by my house on Halloween. Um, and uh, so the, so I did Jurassic Park this last year. I did Harry Potter actually the year before that. Yeah. And I built Diagon Alley, two stories tall down my whole driveway. 
And um, I even recreated Ollivander's, like where you went inside the yeah. store of Ollivander's. And I programmed all these video walls to respond to the wands that wow. people would do. So like they, they got a wand, you know, through the wand ceremony and then they would do magic spells and like they could have their, um, you know, on a Lumos and have the light go off or this and see their Patronus actually come up on the, on the screens. I mean, the kids just thought it was incredible. I mean, I, I, listen, I think it's incredible. Jurassic Park's my favorite movie of all time. And my favorite book is Harry Potter from, I grew up with that book. So you're literally just, you know, you're, uh, you're, you're immense nostalgia. This year I'm doing Star Wars. So. Uh, that's my favorite universe. So like, yeah. I feel like I need to move down to Utah at this point. <laughs> well, come, come visit on Halloween. So yeah. yeah, it's, it's just, it's fun. You know, I, I'm a very creative person. I have a band too, you know, Silent Monk is my band. And very cool. so I'm always writing music. I'm always drawing. I'm 3d modeling. Those are kind of like a lot of my passion hobbies. Um, my actually, my kids and everybody laugh because if you ever do a trip with me, Peter, I literally will send you like a 20 page PowerPoint with every single <laughs> thing outlined with beautiful graphics. It literally looks like I, I hired a, a full production team to make a brochure for the vacation. Yeah. And it's just because I like doing it. So like I'll like last night, I, I take my whole family on a trip every year. Uh, this next year we're doing a cruise. And so I stayed up until like one o'clock in the morning making this whole brochure for my family so they could see yeah. what, what we're going to do, you know? So it's just like any reason to like do something fun, pretty, whatever I'm in, you know? <laughs> but I think what I'm taking away from this as like a through line, and you talked about it from the professional perspective. Now I'm hearing it in your personal life is you, you mentioned that you're a people pleaser, but whether that came through or manifested itself as somebody who was invested in client success and solving client partner problems, or in this case, surprising and delighting community or family through these incredible experiences, like something like a brochure for a family vacation to get everybody, including yourself, excited about the vacation. That's a surprise and delight thing, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it is, I mean, really what it is. I love seeing people happy and I love to create happiness in a way, you know? Yeah. And, um, I'm a very positive person. I mean, you'll, there's been very few times in my life where I feel like I had a little bit more darkness, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so it's just, I love to always see the good in people too. Even when I run my businesses, uh, JD Jepson, who's my CRO, he, he told, he used a term, he said, assume positive intent. Mm. Well, here at Observe Point, we always assume positive intent. There's nobody who goes, that person meant to do this or this person did whatever. It's like, no, this person tried to do what was right. It didn't turn out well, but let's always assume positive intent from everybody that we interact with. John, that is an incredible sentiment to leave off on and probably the summating maybe uh, quote from this. And I absolutely love that. This idea of assuming positive intent, I think it's very powerful. Um, but overall, what it has been such an incredibly uh, pleasant conversation. I think there's so many rich learnings to take away and apply to any career and any profession, but um, hugely appreciative of your openness to chatting and your willingness to come on. This has been fantastic. So thank you very much for your time today. It was a pleasure, Peter. Thank you. 